series today called Perfect Tips for Imperfect Relationships. And I want to kind of give you just a, a, a mental picture at the beginning. I guess it's not a picture, it's just a saying, but I keep saying over and over this whole thing of God is good, but life is hard. I think that's a, a fair assessment as you walk through life. There's lots of seasons that are awesome, and then there's way too many than we care for that are difficult and hard to, to, go, to navigate and to go through. I want you to kind of use that as a backdrop as we go through all the stuff that we're talking about. In fact, it's why we have this title that we do, Perfect Tips for per Imperfect Relationships. It's an acknowledgement that two selfish people, as they walk through life, it's, it's hard, it's difficult. <coughs> Complexities arise, selfishnesses are there, you're learning to, to walk with each other, and marriage is almost like learning to dance. And every marriage has a different dance, and at the beginning you're stepping all over each other's feet, and as you continue that dance, you learn to, on purpose, not step, sometimes on purpose to step, but on purpose not to step on those feet, and it gets easier in many ways, and yet there's still complexities and the difficulties that arise between you, and then there's all this stuff that's imposed on you from the outside. And so as we take a look at this, we're looking at God's wisdom in the midst of this. I heard a neat description of how people kind of look at God and how they come to faith. And at the beginning, they kind of look at God as a, a genie God, a vending machine God. And we've talked about that at different times. This, this whole idea of God, and when I pray, you've got to do this for me. It's this idea that God somehow works for you and that you, he's at your beck and call. And as long as you call upon him, as long as you trust him, he needs to come through for you. Then as people mature and they grow in faith, they, God becomes kind of a consultant sort of God, where you kind of read his word, you say, I really like this part, you know, this part's awesome, God, and you kind of highlight that verse, you put it on the refrigerator at home, you say, this is going to be a life verse for our family, we're so excited about this part right here, but this other stuff that you say, I'm not so sure about that, we're not so sold on that right now, so we'll just keep that there and Maybe you won't look at it very often, and you have a, a Christian culture that's kind of immersed in this idea of looking at God as a consultant. But then as you mature in faith, he eventually moves to this place of being Lord God. And that's where you come and you worship him on Sunday morning, and it's where you come to rever revere his word as truth. It's where you understand that what he says is good and right and helpful for our lives. It's what we aspire to make our lives like. It's not as much picking and choosing, it's I serve him, as opposed to the very beginning where he served us. With those pictures in your mind, with that idea, we're going to look at some of God's word for our relationships because we know they help, because we know they make things better, because they may, know we, they make more perfect, the imperfect stuff in our life. So today I want to begin this series, and I want to talk to you about one word that, that I think will transform most of your relationships here today, if you would just implement it more and more. It's that one word, appreciation, we saw from the video. Now, even though the guy just did the video on it, we think about the word appreciation, we said, well, why is that such a, a big word today? I mean, why is that so important that you would begin a, a series on relationships with it? And the answer to it is basically this is that when you give it, it raises the value of your relationships. In fact, that's what the word means, to raise its value. For example, if you bought a house here in the 1980s, you know what appreciation means because it's gone up in value, except for a few blips here and there. If you bought it since the recession period a few years ago, you know what appreciation means because by and large, the houses have, again, gone up in value. And when you start applying that whole idea to relationships, what you do is every time you appreciate your wife or your husband or your children or your family or your friends, the people you work with, you end up raising the value of those relationships too. Because do you like being around people that appreciate what you do? 
that give you positive feedback, that give you encouragement? Absolutely. Do you like being around those people that are negative towards you, that are critics? Not as much, but we're filled and our lives are filled with those people in our life. So the Bible says if you want to experience healthy relationships in your lives, that we're supposed to do this thing called appreciation. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Paul even shares that. He says, encourage one another and build each other up. Ephesians 4.29, he says again, speak what is helpful for building up each other according to their needs. We like that. We wish more people would do that for us in our lives. We wish they would speak words of encouragement. We could go around. We could feel like we could take on the world. We could do all things. It would be an amazing thing. And so we start looking at this first, and we start with saying, what exactly are these needs? And one of the deepest needs that human beings have, according to most studies, is this need to be appreciated. Now, there's a lot of other needs as well, but this is certainly one of the deepest that show up on study after study after study. It's this need to be appreciated. In fact, I read a few weeks ago, it's an old article about this thing in England. They actually had dial a compliment for a while in England where you'd call up the phone, pay whatever it was, and somebody on the other line would get to know you a little bit and they would start complimenting you and kind of building you up and all this kind of stuff. And it was crazy, right? They probably have text to compliment today or some app. If they don't, you should probably develop it and become a millionaire. Because what the article continued on to say was this, that this number was flooded with calls all day long for years. That people were so desperate, so hungry, so starving for appreciation, they'd even call a perfect stranger, pay money for them to do it, just so that they could hear some encouraging words. So it's not surprising in Philippians then that, to discover that Paul actually describes for us three things that we need to learn to appreciate in other people around us. Three things that are not all that common in our world around us, but things that are tremendously important for us to appreciate and those that God has placed in our lives. And one of the, the first things that he says is we need to learn to appreciate people's loyalty today. Why loyalty? I, you, you know, you look around our world today, there's not a whole lot of loyalty to anything. Um, you know, people root for their favorite sports team while they're winning, and then you go to the Sun Stadium now, and there's, there's, there's hardly anybody there, especially when they were worse. There was even less people there. It's an interesting thing how we show our loyalty. 46% of all marriages now get divorced. Um, it's interesting, this idea of loyalty, and it's hard to find it. You'll find it among sports teams that are largely successful, like the Green Bay Packers. Those guys are crazy, you know? But it's hard to find a Detroit Lion fan that sticks to the road, right? Because they've had so much uh, mediocrity over the years, and yet there are some. In Philippians 1, verse 3 and 5, Paul says this. He's talking to some people that are in his life. He says, I thank God for every time I think of you because of the way in which you have helped me in the work of the gospel from the very first day until now, both now that I'm in prison and also while I was free. See, Paul was just saying, I, I appreciate your guys' loyalty. It's, it's it allowed me to do what God had planned for me. It's allowed me to keep going. It's allowed for me to go from city to city. It's, your prayers have allowed me to make it through all sorts of situations. In many ways, this was Paul's booster club, you know, as he was going through the ministry. They supported him. They stood with him all the way through his ministry from the first day to the last. And now that he's at the end of his life and he's in prison, these guys are still rooting for him. They're cheering him on, saying, Paul, you go for it. You could do it. And here's the deal. He was completely overwhelmed by their continued loyalty and support for him. Why? Because almost everybody else had left. You know, Paul was in prison in Rome, and the Caesar at the time was Nero, not a friend of Christians. Stories of him lighting Christians on fire for dinner parties, all sorts of persecution that was flourishing under his, his leadership. And Paul, one of the premier 
lights, I guess, of the Christian movement of sharing Jesus with the world was in prison. He was going to die. There was no way around it. This was a victory for Nero. It was a victory for every anti-Christian that was out there. People were afraid to go visit Paul. They were afraid to support him because if they were associated with him, maybe what's happening to Paul would happen to them. And that these people, these people in Philippi, they continued to support Paul all the way through. They sent him they sent him money, they sent him support, they sent him personnel, people that would come and they would care for him. And he was completely overwhelmed by their loyalty and their love and their support for not just him but for God and what he was trying to do in the world. And he appreciated them because of that. Paul's just saying these kind of people, they deserve our appreciation as we go through life. They may not always be the most spectacular, they may not be the superstars, they may not do really anything out of the ordinary but if they stick with you, you need to learn to appreciate them because that is something entirely unique, something entirely awesome in our world today. Someone that will actually stick with you through the hard times and through the good times, right? For example, some of you have had a bad marriage or, or, or a friendship has, has dissolved. But there's a person, a friend that has stuck with you in the midst of it. Maybe you, were, you had a bad marriage, but the partner has stuck with you through a lot of the junk that's gone on in your life. Maybe a bankruptcy, a midlife crisis. Maybe there was a health problem. Maybe you stumbled and had an affair. Maybe you just were plain mean for a season of that journey. And yet for whatever reason, they were quietly supportive of you through all your ups and downs, and they're still there. Paul says you need to learn to appreciate that kind of loyalty because it is so rare in our world today because it's not as common as we might think. Or again, have you ever been to Yellowstone National Park? I went there as a kid, and, and we were all hearing about Old Faithful and how awesome it was, but if you ever go to Yellowstone and you ever look at Old Faithful, you know that it's not the biggest geyser that's out there, and you know it's not the most beautiful geyser that's out there. So why is it so famous, and why do people love it so much? Because it is always faithful, because people can count on it. Because if you want to see a geyser, you go to when it's supposed to go off, and you can see it. It's always faithful, it's always loyal, and there's something to be said for that. Paul says again, from the very first day until now, you've stuck with me, and I appreciate that. I really, really do. I was at an ASU game several years ago, and ASU was losing 39-0 against a team that I won't tell you the name. <laughs> it just had a very good recruiting year, but I won't tell you the name of that school. But anyway, I was at this game with a buddy of mine, huge ASU fan, huge ASU fan, and it was just going to get worse. That was during a time when ASU wasn't very good. It was just going to get worse. It was already 39-0. It was midway through the third quarter, and I looked at the stands, and about three-quarters of the stands had emptied. They had already given up, and so I kind of out of mercy, you know, the mercy rule in, in baseball or whatever it is, I, I said, hey, buddy, if you want to go, I, I totally get it. But he said, no way, and he said, I'm going to stick this thing out. And I was always kind of impressed by that, right? He loved his team so much, he was going to stay there through the thick and the thin. It wasn't like a video game. Our video game culture says if you're playing Madden football, for example, or something like that, and you start losing, you can press reset and start the whole game over. We have a whole culture that loves to press reset when we're playing video games, and so when it comes to real life and our team's losing, we just want to bail, want to give up. And it's not just sports, it's relationships, it's marriages, it's friendships, it's all sorts of things in our culture today that when things get too hard, too difficult, too strange, we just want to leave. So anyway, we were sitting in the stadium and he said, no way, I want to stay, and he wanted to stick the thing out, and it's kind of turned around for him because ASU keeps beating this particular team of late, which is very sad. But anyway, 
There's something about not being a Fairweather fan. There's something about being loyal to your team. Somebody once said to me this, it says, a friend is someone who walks in when everybody else is walking out. And that's what Paul's saying, that we need to learn to appreciate people's loyalty to us. He goes on and he talks about another form of appreciation that's really important in our world today, especially in terms of relationships, and it's this. We need to learn to appreciate other people's differences. In Colossians 3, verse 13 through 15, it says, Be patient and tolerant with one another, always ready to forgive. That's a kind of culture, countercultural thing right there, but always ready to forgive if you have a difference with anybody. For you were called to live as one united body and always be faith- thankful. It's kind of this image of being a team, right? And, and even if one of your teammates blow it for one play, you come together and you root together for the team and you try to get together for the next play so that you can go on to victory, so that you can score the touchdown or that you can accomplish whatever the task is. You want to do it as a team. And any short-term mistake, a penalty or whatever it might be, turnover even, it's a setback. You're frustrated. But then you come together as the team to move forward. And he says that the whole is always greater than the individual offense. Paul's just saying this, don't insist that everybody be just like you. Think like you, act like you, smell like you, walk like you, all those different things. But learn to appreciate the uniqueness of everybody's differences. And I say that because those are usually the things that tend to bother us the most as we go through our relationships. Those are the things that attracted us at the beginning to these certain people, but it's the things that cause us frustration as we go through. How is it possible that he sleeps so late on Saturday afternoon? I don't understand it. And at the core of it, our need or our want, we think, is that everybody would be a little bit more like us. <laughs> but they're just not, aren't they? Maybe we can't even coerce them into that particular place. And so it's into that reality that Paul says that differences are not necessarily wrong. They're just different. He's saying everybody is beautiful in their own way. And you know what? I thank God for the differences. I would not want the whole world to be like me. <laughs> that would be a scary, scary place. And nobody wants that, okay? And I would not want the whole world to be like you, as awesome as you are, because I think that too might even be a little on the brutal end. We need to learn to thank God that we're all different, that we're all unique. In fact, I think it is a beautiful evidence of God's unique humor that he tends to put opposites together in marriage. I get a kick out of it when I do marriage counseling just to see how different people are. I think God gets an amazing kick out of it. Because if you're married, inevitably one of you is an early riser and the other doesn't believe in God before 10 a.m., right? One of you is daring and impulsive and one of you is cautious and reserved. When it comes to money, one of you loves to spend money and one of you doesn't love to spend money. In fact, someone once said this, at the end of your life, whether you end up with a nest egg or a goose egg depends on the chick you married. (laughs) When it comes to romance, one of you is very romantic and the other isn't. When it comes to sex, one of you says drop everything and the other says drop dead. It's like the guy who came home from work one day and he had two aspirin in his hand and he handed it to his wife and she said, what's this for? And he said, it's for your headache. She says, I don't have a headache. And he said, gotcha. (laughs) Fact is, we're all made just a little bit different. There are no two people that are alike. And so we need to learn to appreciate the other's differences as we walk through life. And so Paul says it starts with this, being patient, being tolerant. And it doesn't mean being patient, tolerant of sin. Sin's always wrong, but it means of the differences of the way we look at life, the way we approach life, the the uniqueness of waking up late or early, the the differences in the way we respond to adversity, all those different kind of things. 
And if you have a difference, to be thankful for those differences. Because differences add balance to marriage. To be honest, most of say that the most marriages that, that are exactly the same have more struggles than those that are complete opposites. In fact, the greater the differences in your marriage, the more opportunity and more potential you have for growth. So Paul says, learn to appreciate the differences of those that are around you. And then he goes on to this last one, and he says this, we need to also learn to appreciate other people's efforts. I think that's a big one. You have to realize that if you have a spouse, that there's some things that she does for you only because she loves you, or he does for you only because he loves you. He probably wouldn't do it for any other reason, but because he loves you, because he cares, he does these certain things. And it may not be as consistent as you'd like. It may not be as perfect as you'd like. But we have to learn to appreciate the efforts in other people. In 1 Thessalonians 1 through 2 through 3, it says this, We always thank God for you, how you have put your faith into practice and how you, your love has made you work so hard. Um, in other words, Paul's just saying here is don't take people's efforts for granted. And I think we do that largely today. I think it's one of the big frustrations in relationships is nobody says thank you. Nobody says I appreciate all the things that you do. For example, those of you that have preschool-age kids, you ever have little helpers around the house? Or remember having little helpers around the house? And they're teenagers, you can barely get them to do anything, but remember when you had little helpers, they wanted to help? My kids, because I love cleaning so much, I'd have them help me as much as possible, and I'd have them do things, and they loved doing it. They loved doing all sorts of things. They put, they put the, the furniture polish on the windows and the Windex on the wood, and they, they, they'd iron, I mean, not iron, I wouldn't give them that yet. Anyway, but, but they, uh, they, they would vacuum all sorts of stuff that they weren't supposed to, like the drapes and, and all sorts of things. And, and even though they didn't always get it right, and even though sometimes it wasn't as clean as I had hoped, or as clean as it was before we started cleaning, um, I always appreciated their efforts. I just thought it was cool that they wanted to help. They didn't always get it right, but I always appreciate that they would make that effort. A friend of mine tells me when he was in junior high school, took a course in woodshop, and he said, I have no artistic ability, craftsmanship ability, absolutely none. He said, for my project that year, we had to make a pencil holder. It's not that hard. It's a block of wood with six holes in it, but it took me all semester to try to do this. And even if I got, after I got it finished, it was all cockeyed, and I was real embarrassed about it. But he said, I gave it to my dad for Christmas, and he appreciated it. He appreciated the effort. Even though it was a piece of junk, he appreciated that I took the effort to make something for him. He appreciated it so much, he said, the next year I made him a gun rack. He didn't even have a gun. <laughs> Alex Haley. Alex Haley is a guy who wrote Roots, and he's in the Navy. He told this story. At the end of Thanksgiving, he had prepared meals on his ship for everybody uh, and went downstairs. He got in his bunk, and he was thinking about the word Thanksgiving. He said he reversed the words Thanksgiving into giving thanks, and he started thinking, you know, who do I need to be thankful to? Who do I need to be thankful for? He said he made a list of eight different people that had dramatically affected his life in a positive direction. And he sat down to write him a note, and he realized quickly into this that four of them had already passed. And so he sat down, and he wrote the notes to the four other people that were left before they would pass. And he was just going to write a letter to say, thank you for the impact that you've made in my life. But then the rest of the article that I was reading goes on to the, tell about how these people's lives were affected, how they were changed by this simple thank you note that he sent. I think the reality is that we have so much to be grateful for in this life, which I think is an amazing thing in and of itself. Because again, life is hard, but God is good. And you read elsewhere that every good thing, every gracious gift that we receive comes from above. In other words, that it comes from God himself. And so the good in our life is a reminder to us in many ways that God still is there. 
that he still sees, that he still knows, that he's still working, that he still cares. It's reminders that we still have a good God in the midst of the adversity of life. And I think there's a key in that when it comes to this idea of appreciation that we can get strength from that to help us do that with the other people in our life. Because as you look into this, you start seeing how all healthy relationships begin by learning to appreciate the author and the perfecter of all the good things that we have in our life. That we begin to see that all things, good things, come from him. It's realizing that no one is more faithful in our life to us than God is. Faithful is such a, a strange word to use in our culture today, and yet it's always true of God. He's faithful to his promises, even when we are not. It's realizing that God is different in so many amazing ways for us. He is there for us always. He forgives our sins because of Jesus. He loves us without condition. He sees, he created, he is. It's realizing that he loves us enough to continue to make the effort. In fact, he made the, the most impactful effort ever when he sent us Jesus. In fact, this word tells us that 2,000 years ago, he came to this earth for us to die in our place so that our sins could be forgiven, so that he could rise again to make sure we receive these most precious gifts. Gift of being loved, of forgiveness, of this life everlasting. And when you can start to look at life in that context, realizing that the good things that we experience on this earth are from God, realizing that God is faithful, that he is just, that he is caring, that he's constant, that he cares deeply about what we're going through. It's those kind of things that give us strength then as we look at our relationships to see that there's hope. Because with God, there's always hope. Hope that things can change, hope that things can get better, hope that you can get through a reconciliation period. It's only when you look at God and all of his constant care for us that you can find energy, energy to keep on investing, energy to keep on trying, energy to keep on loving, to keep on forgiving. It's only when you look at it in the context of who God is and what he's done for us that you can find any of the strength to make him Lord God and not consultant God and not genie God, but Lord God in your life, realizing that when he is Lord God, everything else kind of falls in order. Everything else kind of gets better. When God is first in our life, our marriages get better. When our marriages are second in life, our kids, our relationship with our kids kind of gets better. And when our family's first, our relationships with other people kind of get better. There's a process and there's a theme and there's a way that God brings things together. And as we look at this, we can begin to appreciate things in a whole new light. And so as we worship our amazing God this day, and we, we come to an appreciation for just how amazing our God is. And may that drive us to hear anew his call to us to appreciate others in our life that he's already used in so many amazing ways. Receive that call today and that encouragement in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.